0: Welcome to Wassa Community Church. We've got a longer one uh, today, so let's get started. We're going to be in verse 13 of chapter 16, and we're going to be going all the way to verse 37 of chapter 17. So we're in two chapters here. So that says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil. And anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, Behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well, and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat, and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Ezekah in Ephesdanim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, the three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left sheep with the keeper, and took the provisions, and went, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage, and ran to the ranks, and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should abide the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? What is it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. When the words that David had spoke were heard, they repeated repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. God, I thank you so much for all that you've done for us. You were so good to us. I pray that you would be working on all of our hearts today uh, as we watch this in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would be giving us understanding of your word in the name of Jesus, and that if I say anything wrong or untrue, Lord, that, that would be recognized and not believed in the name of Jesus. But Lord, that your truths would be be remembered. I pray that your truth will be remembered in the name of Jesus. That's what's so important. And that's what I hope to convey. So God, be with me as I preach and be with us as we hear your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. When we think of a person's age, we often have a lot of judgments about them. Sometimes our judgments are right, and sometimes they are wrong. We can think of young people, for instance, as foolish and write them off. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm pretty foolish. Uh, A lot. You know, I've also got a lot to learn, but I also know that the Spirit in me is older than anyone else. God's Holy Spirit has always been around, and He is not foolish. He is wise. Even though I'm very inexperienced in life and have the shortcomings of my flesh, God doesn't have those same limitations. One of the big verses for me when I started my internship and then also when I started pastoring here was 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And that's what I want to be as a young pastor, someone who sets a good example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. And I know that if the Spirit in me is at work, then those things are definitely possible, because I often feel inadequate for the role that I'm in. I have a lot of things that make me think, how am I here? How am I the pastor? If you knew me before I went to college, too, you would have seen that I'm really not a big public speaker, right? And although nowadays I do enjoy it, it doesn't mean that I'm good at it, you know? If, if I were to give a speech to a large audience on another subject, I definitely would be nothing compared to a professional. And I I know I hear a lot of praise from people about my sermons, and, and like, that's good, but... That's God, right? That's Him working through what I say. On my own, I'm not a gifted speaker. I still read my sermons that I write word for word, right? I'm reading this right now, word for word, and that's mostly because I don't want to mess anything up. You know, it's easier for me to communicate my thoughts through writing rather than through speaking, and that's not the only thing, right? There's more to being a pastor than than preaching, Uh, You know, but even in other things, I find myself so inadequate, right? Whether it's having life experience or having a good work ethic or even being servant-hearted, right? If you wanna know someone who I think is naturally servant-hearted, then talk to my brother. And in the same way, he could probably let you know that I definitely am not naturally servant-hearted, right? And that's really the biggest thing about being a pastor, right? They need to be a servant. And so I look at these things and I think, wow, why does God want me here? But even though these things aren't natural to me, I've seen God at work in them. If we look at the things listed, godly speech, good conduct, love, faith, purity, these are things that aren't natural for me. But I know that God uses the weak, God uses the young. God is not limited, and his spirit lives in me. And I can be honest in saying that if you see me do good things like this, then praise God, because it's his work. And that's the same with other young people who who show these qualities, right? They have the same spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit, which means you shouldn't write people off because of their youth. If you are in Christ and they are in Christ, then you have the same Holy Spirit. And of course we can say the same about when people get older, right? Even in their 90s, God can use people. I mean, I know we're not talking about Abraham and Sarah. This story is about a young man named David But it's true that no matter your age, God can use you for great things. Because the Spirit of God in you doesn't have age. He's eternal. So whether in your youth, or in your adulthood, or as a senior, do not think that God's Spirit cannot work through you, and do not think that God's Spirit cannot work in others because of their age. God's Spirit is God's spirit, and he is not bound by age. Last week we talked about David being chosen as the one who would become Israel's king because he was a man after God's own heart, a very young man, I should add. Like I know adulthood in our culture pretty much starts at 18. Uh, But I think David was even younger than that when he was anointed. I think he was more like 15, and he was possibly even younger than that. But still, he was a man after God's own heart. Whereas Saul, the current king, is not a man after God's own heart and is rejected by God. When Samuel finds out that David is the Lord's choice to be the next king, Samuel anoints him. It says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ram. Uh, The spirit of the Lord rushes on David as we see, and in the very next verse, we see the opposite with Saul. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So the spirit leaves Saul, And the spirit comes upon David, showing that Saul has been rejected from being king over God's people Israel, and David has been accepted. Also, as we see with God's spirit leaving Saul, he sends a different spirit, one that is harmful to torment Saul, though the one with God's spirit would come to to, to soothe Saul and drive the harmful spirit away, as we see David Comes with the liar. Now, a lot of people look at this passage and say that in the same way that the Spirit de- de- departed from Saul, the Holy Spirit can depart from us believers. And again, I don't know the answer to that exactly because we have this passage in Hebrews that tells us about those who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away. And so you get this sense that when it says shared in the Holy Spirit, it means that they've had the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. But I don't know. I don't think that we should be so quick to assume that the Spirit was actually living in them. A few verses later, after talking about these people, the author author of Hebrews says to the ones he is writing to, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Which means the things before do not belong to salvation. So the people who had shared in the Holy Spirit did so in a way that they could while they were not saved from hell, which is really difficult to understand. Like, how can someone share in the Holy Spirit, taste the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and not be saved? I'm I'm not exactly sure, actually. Um, But one thing I remember is that people can do a lot of good works in the name of Jesus and still not know him. Like, for example, uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It sounds to me like these people have, like it says, tasted the powers of the age to come as they are prophesying and casting out demons in the name of Jesus, They also know about Jesus, so they have likely tasted the goodness of God's word in some way. And so perhaps they've also in some way shared in the Holy Spirit without the Spirit actually indwelling them. Because if they are casting out demons in Jesus' name, it shows that there's some kind of power there. Perhaps... The Spirit is in some way at work, I'm not fully sure, and I don't know how it looks really, but we can see here that people can have that kind of power of, of, of prophecy and, and to cast out demons in Jesus' name without actually knowing Him. And the problem that we see here is that that's how they think they're justified in the eyes of God, by the works that they've done. We see that on the day where it's decided whether they're allowed into heaven or not, they try to boast in their own works. We did all these amazing things. And can I just say, like, these are amazing works. Casting out demons, that's a powerful work. But when you're saying we did all these amazing works to try and convince God that he should allow you into heaven, you're missing the point of why God allows people into heaven. It's because of him, not you. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast, so that no one may boast. Salvation doesn't come as a result of your works, even if you cast out demons in the name of Jesus. It comes because of God's grace towards you, and He is gracious toward you because of your faith in Him, not because of your works. When you humble yourself, and acknowledge you were a sinner, and that you deserve the punishment of death, and so you repent of sin, choosing instead to follow Jesus, and you place your faith, your, your belief in Jesus and what he's done for you in dying for your sins on the cross and rising again from the dead, then, then you will be allowed into heaven. Then your sins will be forgiven. You will be justified, made righteous in God's eyes. You will be transformed, becoming a new creation, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Let's shift from Ephesians 2 a little bit backward to Ephesians 1, where Paul talks about being in Christ. He says, in him, uh, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. So when that happened, that you believed in Him, and I mean truly believed in Him, right, with repentance... When you believed in him and received his Holy Spirit, not just shared in the Holy Spirit, this is individual, right? You actually have the Holy Spirit inside you, living in you as an individual. When that happened, it says here that you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what does that mean? Well, here it says the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance in Christ until we acquire possession of it. So until we actually receive that inheritance. And what is that inheritance? I love how Peter puts it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope and to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, so it's forever, and it's being kept in heaven for you. So an inheritance for those in Christ is eternal, and it's in heaven. And the Holy Spirit in you, in us, it's the guarantee that we will receive that inheritance until... We actually receive it. It's a guarantee that we will receive our inheritance in heaven, in the kingdom of God. So for someone who is a true believer in Christ, the Spirit won't leave them. For someone who is not, though, they may somehow share in the Holy Spirit. And I am still, I'm still not exactly sure how, um, but that Spirit... Doesn't seem to be indwelling them. God's Spirit doesn't seem to be indwelling them. So is it even really with them? I'm I'm not totally sure. Moving on to Saul, however, um, the way I look at the Spirit coming upon Saul is that it was more of an earthly guarantee than a heavenly one. You know, a guarantee that he would inherit the throne of Israel. And this is before Jesus' time as well. So I don't know that the Spirit worked back then how it works with us believers who are in Christ today, who have a, who have a guarantee of an eternal kingdom, right? Not an earthly one. So I do think Saul's case is different David also had that earthly guarantee of having the throne, and the Spirit came upon him as well, but his kingdom isn't cut off like Saul's, right? Once Saul is rejected and told his kingdom will not continue past him, the Spirit leaves. And and then we see that David, who has the Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, still comes and calms Saul with the lyre, driving the harmful spirit that God sent away for a time. So, Let's actually get into this story of David and Goliath. We won't get all the way through it because it is really long. I think it's the longest story that I've covered so far in 1 Samuel, but we'll get it started. Now, the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Zikah in Ephesdamun. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the Valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So let's put this on the map here. You can see the important places like Jerusalem and then Bethlehem, where David was from, and Gibeah, where Saul was from. And so that gives you an idea of where the Valley of Elah here is in comparison to those places. Part of my circle here uh, covered up the name Gath, um, but Gath is where Goliath was from, just to show you that he didn't come from that far away. Now, if we, if we switch the map to this one, you can see how the valley separates the Israelites and the Philistines. Israelites are on one side, Philistines on the other, and then from the ranks of the Philistines comes this giant. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. And I've read that a span is uh, like from, from here to here, uh, the opening of a hand, but who knows really what it is based on whose hand we measure, right? Um, I've also seen that it might be about a half of a cubit, which gives us a little bit more of a precise measurement. So Goliath here seems like he's six and a half cubits tall. And if we were to measure that, it would be about nine foot nine, based on the calculation that I made. I, I hope I'm right there. Um, but even then, what exactly is a span, right? We, we don't exactly know what a span is, so I'm, I'm not sure, but he was really tall, and it was something like nine foot nine. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. So if we look at 40 shekels, that is about a pound. It's similar to a pound. And uh, so the weight of 5,000 shekels, which is his coat of mail, is about 125 pounds. Or actually, it's closer to 126. It's like 125.66 pounds. Uh, so it's almost like he's carrying a small man, and he had a bronze—he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin, of bronze slung between his shoulders. Uh, the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed six hundred shekels of iron. So that's about fifteen pounds, and that's—that's—that's that's, that's a spearhead, right? That's a big thing. So, if, so if a person got hit by a regular spear, yeah, that hurt a lot. Uh, actually, it might kill you also, it could easily kill you, um, but a spear with a 15 pound spearhead, like if that hits you, that's a lot of damage, right? So so here's this giant, this intimidating huge man who can easily wipe you right out with this massive spear, and he, and the people are afraid, right? I would be afraid. He comes out and calls to the Israelites, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And of course, nobody wants to fight him because in their minds, it's basically suicide. He kept coming out uh, morning and evening for 40 days, but nobody would take the challenge until a young man delivering loaves and cheeses came out to the battlefield. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? For David, this is just another enemy of God who will be crushed. Who who, who does he think he is that he can defy the living God of Israel and have victory? You know, David had come to deliver food. Uh, He he saw this giant Philistine come out to challenge an Israelite to fight them. The people with David tell him there's reward for whoever kills him. And David's response is basically, who does he think he is? When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. When no other Israelite has the courage to fight, David has the courage. David is willing. And and why wouldn't he be? To him, this Philistine, Goliath, is is not just against him. He's against God. And David, knowing God is on his side, knows that Goliath can't succeed. He's against God. You can't stand up to God and succeed. And so... He knows that, that Goliath is not going to succeed. Um, but Saul? What about Saul? What does Saul say? You're too young, basically. He says, You were not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. His judgment is based on the age of David, not the age of the Spirit upon him. Not the age of the God who has his back. The God with power over all things because he created all things. right? Who who with a word could wipe Goliath out of existence. Human strength, no matter how great, means nothing when you're against the God of Israel, the living God. And Goliath is going to find that out. I think too what really helps David's courage here is that he's seen the Lord at work in his life before. David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. So David has had some experience, right? I think if we had sheep, and a bear came and took one of them, we probably just think, oh man, I lost the sheep. I just lost a sheep. David instead says, I am not going to lose that sheep. He went after the bear, risking his own life, and struck the bear to get the sheep back. And if the bear turned around to fight back, instead of ending it right there and running off, David killed it. And that is such a picture of his descendant, Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Because if we are believers, then we are Jesus' sheep. And if something comes after us like a wolf, Jesus does not say, Oh man, I just lost a sheep. He says, I am not losing that sheep. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven... Not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If we go a little further in John, Jesus says, I am... And, and again, a little further in John, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jesus is not going to lose his sheep. No one is going to snatch us from his hand. He then brings the Father into it, saying not simply no one is going to snatch us from his hand, but that no one is able to. They simply cannot do it. The wolves that come at us can do many things to us, but they cannot take away our salvation. They cannot steal us away from the Father. He is too powerful, and his grip is too tight. If someone grabs at us to pull us away, God does not say, oh man, I'm losing a sheep. God says, I am not losing that sheep. And that is also the heart of David. He is a man after God's own heart. A bear takes one of his sheep. He goes after it. A lion goes after one of his sheep and takes one of his sheep. He goes after it. A giant defies his God and sets out to defeat one of his people before going after the rest. He goes after it. And with this experience behind him of having already faced some formidable foes in a lion and in a bear, he trusts that once again the Lord will deliver him. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I think in our lives too, it definitely helps to have moments uh, to look back on where God was there for you or where he did something amazing for you and, and remember those things, right? Because, um, because those help your confidence in the Lord going forward. You know, a lot of the problems with Israel came because they forgot the Lord and what he, what he had done. Remembering what God has done in your life is a big thing. Not only for giving him thanks, which we definitely should do, but also for building your confidence in him right now and in the future when you face big things. A lot of David's confidence in fighting Goliath comes from the fact that God was with him against the lion and against the bear. And it also convinces Saul as we see. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Which is actually really cool. Saul at first thinks he is way too young to take on Goliath but David tells him, hey, the Lord was with me when I fought a bear and when I fought a lion. So the Lord will be with me now. And I don't know exactly what David looked like muscular-wise. Uh, Saul might have seen a teenager and been like, wow, yeah, you must have needed the Lord. <laughs> but I do feel like David uh, was probably somewhat built, you know, just based on his resume with the lion and the bear. But then, then I think, again, um, <laughs> it's so true that God can use anybody, right? Who am I to, to, to cast that judgment? God can use anybody. Because like God used David even at his age. No matter your age, God can use you for great things. Because the Spirit of God in you doesn't have age. He's eternal. So whether in your youth or in your adulthood or as a senior, don't think that God's Spirit cannot work through you. And don't think that God's spirit cannot work in others because of their age. God's spirit is God's spirit. And he is not bound by age. Bow with me in prayer. God, you are wonderful and I thank you that you, no matter our age or no matter our our, our, our physique or, or anything like that, No matter our human weakness or our human strength, God, you can use anybody. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I just pray that you would remind us of that. And remind us of the things that you've already brought us through, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Um, Just so we have those things, those, those things that we can see. Lord, you are with me. Lord, you got me through that. Lord, you were there. And so you'll be there again. So, God, I thank you, and I just pray that you would build our faith in you in the name of Jesus, and that you would help us to remember those things. And to know, Lord, that that no matter what our ages, no matter what our physique is, Lord, you can use us in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're wonderful, you're amazing. Your spirit is at work in all of us who are believers, and I thank you so much for that. And uh, yeah, without your spirit, where would we be, really? God, you're so good, and I just pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling,